Allison, you want to start? I was going to say, does everyone have the book? Okay, Kim, can you put it up? All right. So we are on page 84. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing. He did each single thing as if he did nothing else. Charles Dickens, Dombey and Son. Uh, just just ho hold on. I'm sorry. Okay. There's many 84s. But what I wanted to do was um, um, Melina, is that how you say your name? Mylin or Milen. So uh, do you know anything about Joko Beck? No. Oh, so Joko Beck was trained in, in two, the two different kinds of Zen Buddhism, which is Soto Zen and um, Rinzai Zen. And she started a temple in uh, San Diego. And our teacher, Peg Syverson, who's now in Chicago, but studied with her there years ago. And um, Joko Beck threw out a lot of the formal aspects of Buddhism and just uh, and we, we really enjoy her because she's so uh, common sense. Uh, anyone else want to add anything about Choco Beck? So she'll hardly use the word Buddhism. And, but everything she's talking about is really it. Have you had any exposure to Buddhism? Just a little bit. Okay. So you'll have a little more here. This, this is a great book to start with. Okay, is there, can you please uh, write down uh, on the chat or somewhere the detail of the book, please? Okay. Thank you very much. I'll do it. Thank I'll you. get it, Kim. Okay. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing. He did each single thing as if he did nothing else. Charles Dickens, Dombey and Son. Layman Peng was a great old Zen master born in the year 740. He wasn't a priest. He was a family man who rejected formal practice and sought enlightenment on his own. Once Peng freed himself from all possessions by loading them in a boat and sinking it in the middle of a river. After that, he and his daughter Ling Chao traveled around ancient China as peddlers. Pang seemed to have known every major Zen figure of his time. 
He studied with all of them and engaged them in Dharma combat, a practice of exchanging challenging questions and answers that was popular at the time. Once when questioned about his life, Pang offered the following verse. My daily activities are not unusual. I'm just naturally in harmony with them. Grasping nothing, discarding nothing, supernatural power and marvelous activity, drawing water and carrying firewood. He and his daughter spent their last two years living in a cave. One day, Payne announced it was time to die. He prepared himself and asked his daughter to go outside and report when the sun reached the moon. Instead, she rushed back in and told him there was an eclipse. When Payne went outside to see it, Lin Chao assumed her father's place and promptly died. Her way was always swift, Payne said and died a week later. So the story there, we read it in um, years ago in um, The Hidden Lamp. Yeah. But the idea was that that uh, he did not want it. He did not want her to be fatherless or something, and she did not want him to. Do you remember it, Ellen? I don't quite remember it, but they were at, uh, they had uh, opposing opinions about this, is all I can remember. It, it was kind of the end of the world for a woman to be alone without her father or without a husband. And that was kind of tied to this. And, and they also had this incredible uh, attachment to each other and also to Buddhism. And uh, it was, it's a wonderful story. Okay, go on. Well, I, I have a question. Yes. Uh, so he's supposed to have, supposed to have uh, reached enlightenment all by himself, but it says he studied with all these teachers. So that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, you can study with... with them but not necessarily be part of a formal community or order well yeah but he still didn't do everything on his own well nobody does well i know but it says he did doesn't it let's see i think i mean to me I, I read that more as like he didn't have just one specific teacher he just sort of hopped around okay but also some people like i just read about an, an artist who was actually a student of mine at one point and she said you know, I had classes with all these people, but I'm really self-taught. Hmm, interesting. It, it's kind I of a, fra a frame of mind, maybe. Okay. All right. This, okay. story, this, uh, this story probably never really happened, but it's still a great story. My daily life is not unusual, he says. I'm just naturally in harmony with it. That sounds easy. I could say to you, just go home and be in harmony with what you do. When you run your computer, be in harmony with it. When you talk to your loved ones, be in harmony with your loved ones. Simple, isn't it? For us, it's not simple. Uh, my next. Yeah. For example, today I tried to prepare to give a talk and to do nothing else. I was trying to follow Charles Dickens' description to do one thing and to do nothing else. I lasted about 10 seconds. 
And it had a little itch on my face. Of course, I didn't just scratch my face. I got busy thinking about the itch. Harmony with the mess. If we could truly be in harmony with our experience from morning to night, that would be a lot. I'm not talking about the single-mindedness of fierce concentration, focusing intently on every little thing. You lift a spoon and you focus all your attention on lifting the spoon. That's self-conscious mindfulness. And I'm not talking about that. When mindfulness practice is misconstrued, we pay very showy attention to the elaborate lifting of the spoon or putting it in your mouth. You can learn something from that, but what can be left out of this kind of mindful, uh, but what can be left out of this mind, of this kind of mindfulness practice is awareness. I don't just mean awareness of the spoon, but awareness of the whole context of your life at that second, which includes bodily body sensations. How long, uh, how long, you have to eat, all that sort of thing. It's very easy to say, just be in harmony with life. That's all very nice, but it's not what we're doing. We sort of know all that. <coughs> and yet that's not what we're doing. We're very rarely just do what we do. We're nearly always doing one thing and kind of veering off in another direction at the same time. If we're lost in the mental world of our core belief, we never know what harmony is, what straightens us out for human beings. And uh, Elena, would you like to read? Um, is it okay if I, if I just uh, listen this time? My pronunciation is not very good. Sure. Thank you. That uh, Nancy. Nancy. Where did Nancy go? She's here. She's just muted. Allison, do you know everything? <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> like, this is my whole, this is my whole life now. I'm just, I'm just one with the Zoom. If we're lost in the mental world, is that correct? Uh, yes. No, I read that. I thought. Yeah, you did. It's in the realm of no liking. In the realm of no liking or disliking, the world is absolute perfect. We do each single thing with no discrimination. Suppose you're trying to work, you're really busy, and the phone rings. We resent the ringing because we're trying to work, but the problem isn't the phone ringing, it's just ringing. It's not good or bad. When we become more able to notice and experience this phone ringing, life gets less rigid. Because life is always changing, we become more able to move with it as opposed to being stuck. Being in harmony means you're experiencing yourself as an integral part of life instead of as someone who opposing a piece of life. When you experience harmony, you know it. From the material point of view, there's no harmony. From the absolute point of view, it's all just happening, so it's naturally in harmony. Harmony can occur right in the middle of a messy situation. It's when we can experience the mess, but not be the mess. It's when we can experience the mess without being ensnared by it. What's going on here? 
the minute I sense a little judgment of something or a little annoyance at something, that sensing happens fast now from years of practice. I ask myself, what's going on here? I take a long, deep look. Sometimes you can just do the whole thing in 10 seconds if it's just a run-of-the-mill type thing. As we practice, the ability to pause and to question gets stronger and stronger. It isn't that the problems vanish or your ego vanishes, but the ability to look quickly and be interested in looking grows. When you practice with something like that, and we all have something like that in the room or disappear. That's uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Uh, now we can, but you, it was uh, the uh, warped, a warped kind of sound, yeah. But we, you're okay now, with. I think. You want to try the paragraph again? Yeah. When you practice with something like that, and we all have something or lots of things in our life like that, then the room realm of no liking begins to appear and that's the realm of harmony we start out believing our judgments instead of seeing noticing and labeling our judgment and seeing what else is going on when you experience anything that's the turning point it's become quite popular in some circles to say you have to really like yourself I think that's backward. You can't just like yourself. What you have to see is that you don't what you have to see is that you don't like yourself. But the self you don't like isn't your true self. The self you don't like consists of your core belief with its accompanying thoughts and body sensations. With practice, you move through the tube of experiencing and come out in the land of harmony, of being okay with yourself. Um, I, Glenn, I think. Glenn, are you still here? Yes, he's just muted. <laughs> Sorry about that. The courage to practice. <laughs> practice takes courage. By courage, I don't mean being willing to stand in front of a cannon and get blasted away. Practice takes courage because we don't want to move off our usual position. It takes courage to stop doing things the way you've always done them and to make a choice to do something different. That helps me the most. What helps me the most with courage is when I can really be honest about what I'm experiencing, which is usually fear. And if I can stay with that and experience it, it seems to get a little bit more possible to do the work, to do what needs to be done. So no tremendous, no effort, tremendous effort. If you sit long enough, so so practice is both uh, uh, sitting, meditation, and it's the rest of our life as well. And she she so she uses it in both ways. If you sit long enough, you'll experience hating to sit, loving it, being impressed by it, thinking it's a bunch of nonsense, and finding. <laughs> the whole thing dreary. Practice is always the same, regardless of what you bring to it. 
whether you're young or old, happy or sad, practice ever varies. And that way it contains us and gives us the space to experience whatever is. It doesn't get in the way. So how, how do you guys see that, that practice is always the same? What's the same about it? Is everyone frozen? No, I'm <laughs> I mean, did that surprise you when she said that? No, because it's like, it's like practice in anything. Like if you are, you know, if you want to study and go deep in playing the piano, you have to show up and do scales every day, whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood or, or whatever. Like you don't just, you know, do your scales on days when you're in a good mood. Um, you know, if you're training to like do a serious marathon, uh, you don't change up your training regimen based on your mood. Like you might based on a injury, but not just based on like what your brain is telling you to do that day. Well, and also that first paragraph is all the things you add to practice. I mean, like today I hate it, today I love it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but really, it's just what it is, sort of like the phone ringing. That's sort of how I read it. So say a little more about that, the phone ringing, that it's oh, always the, the same? The phone's just ringing. And that's all. It's just ringing. It isn't a positive or a negative, but but I might make it a, a, a negative. Oh, that darn phone. Why do people keep calling me or whatever, you know? So our attitude toward practice might be different one day in the next, but the practice itself but, is the same. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. There have always been two schools of Buddhist thought about practicing meditation. One school holds that practice requires no effort. This is true, it really doesn't. You're just being what you're being. The other school holds that practice requires tremendous effort. This is also true. To be aware of what you're doing takes tremendous effort. I remember being mad at my youngest daughter once. I was really mad at her and I just wanted to be right because of course I was right. I wanted to say a few well-chosen but slightly cutting things that would just settle it. So inwardly, I had this turmoil. I knew from years of practice the harm my words would do. And at the same time, I could sense how much I wanted to do it. But I could also sense that what I most wanted was to be close to her and do no harm. I felt that experience get stronger until I began to see that I had no choice. I had to go over and put my arm around her. Of course, then the whole thing was just wonderful in about 10 seconds. As opposed to creating a miserable situation, we created a wonderful one. I think so, we're back to Alex. Sorry, I was like, I'm like really like going back and marking. I'm like, oh, that that's a paragraph I need to highlight. <laughs> <laughs> the desire to be right is so powerful. Years of sitting meditation are not a guarantee of happiness or really of anything, but the depth of experience may give you those few seconds to sense what you want most in a situation 
and to act from that. Those few seconds are why we sit and sit and sit. We build something that can, in the moment, help us make the choice we most want. That ability increases over time. Ease and effort. I find that practicing well takes effort. At the same time, to experience life as it is, without any trying, thinking, or doing, is to experience effortlessness. How are these things both true? Life is often a struggle. We have things we want to happen and stuff we think and believe should happen that doesn't. We are tired of this and yet to give up the core belief that is keeping us in the struggle takes conscious attention. To the extent that I've been living an incomplete life, it requires effort to experience more of reality. Our habit, oh, that's kind of interesting. Our habit is to narrow down what we think of as reality to suit what we think of as our lives. To let the senses, physical reality, and the bigger picture emerge unfiltered by our core belief is scary. The effort is our willingness to turn toward the unknown of this moment and stay there. We stay there without doing or thinking anything. That's where the effortlessness emerges. Mm. Our practice is to be aware of what's going on as soon as we can. Usually for the first second or longer, we get caught believing our thoughts. It takes effort to not hold on tightly to our caughtness. But with practice, the caughtness doesn't stay as long. We know we're caught, and in the noticing, the constriction loosens. We think we have to change something to do something. That sounds like a lot of work. But primarily when we talk about effort and practice, the effort is just turning our awareness to our own experiences and then staying there again and again. We talk about effort and we talk about effortless, effortlessness, but really we are talking about making a choice. What do we have a choice about and what don't we? When we feel hurt by someone, we have a choice to resist attentively. To rest. To rest attentively, thank you. With that hurt, instead of turning away toward comfort, justification, or even despair. We deliberately use our attention to raise questions. What am I doing? What's going on here? We ask these questions as a challenge to that awareness so that awareness can float <coughs> something up. To ask the questions and leave behind our own familiar way of thinking takes effort. Other words for this effort could be a diligence or attention. But what we find once we turn away from the effort with practice is effortlessness. Effortless doesn't mean nice and comfortable. It just means we are aware that we are allowing what is to be simply what is to simply be. There is no choice here, no straining, effortless, effortless. As Westerners, everything in our lives is supposed to move onward and upward and become better and more successful. Using that backdrop, we often think our own behavior or someone else's behavior is not so great. We want to change something so we can go someplace different or be with someone different. Our true effort is to go toward an awareness of what's really going on with us. 
To be aware, for example, that your body is tense doesn't take effort. It's just awareness. To be aware of your thoughts as they bubble up doesn't take much effort. It's just like watching a TV, blip, blip, blip. In a sense, it's effortless. But until we know ourselves well enough not to get caught, it feels like effort to keep turning toward what's uncomfortable and to not fall into old ways of being. Signals for practice. If your coworker does something hurtful, and they usually do, your first reaction is often hurt and defensiveness. You focus on what is wrong about the situation or the person. But while there may be a lot of truth in that, for our practice, the point is how we respond. How do we move from this person hurt me to I am experiencing hurt? It takes effort to pull ourselves away from this self-righteous and familiar anger. You have to go back to the body and feel what you feel as the body. It takes no effort once you have put your awareness there to experience what you're experiencing. Thoughts like he hurt me or you hurt me are signals for practice. How do we let go of the you and me in this sentence and just start to notice that the hurt we are experiencing? That is the teacher here, the hurt. To turn away from anger, once we are fully in it, takes tremendous effort. Most of us are not capable of it in the moment. This is because we're stuck in our own attack mode most of the time. We may feel like we're being attacked. Our systems are ready to, to quickly react. With even the glimpse of a pause, we can gradually turn away from our attack mode and toward a quiet present space that allows for a more compassionate and appropriate response. The wonder of a regular sitting practice is that it helps us be less in that attack and defend mode before the upsetting situation occurs. So in that moment of hurt and, or anger, we have more ability to pause and practice. We're able to come back to reality more quickly. We may still feel life is attacking us, but we gain an ability to notice that we feel this way and return to what is actually going on inside. The strength within oneself to do this is the fruit of lots of practice. Mm -hmm. Witnessing your sorrow. The difficult thing in practice is always, the cross, is always that crossroad where it feels like something is hurting us. They're really hurt and we don't want to budge. Your practice is for those moments of greatest hurt. You're developing a witness, a way to separate the self that has the ability to witness the empty nature of reality. That ability to witness continues to grow as long as you practice. It gets stronger and begins to take charge. And it takes charge more and more with more speed and less effort all the time. Our inherent capacity to experience gets stronger the more we're able to witness. Um, has anyone else heard her introduce the empty nature of reality? Was that the first time she slipped it in? Did anyone? Has Joko used that phrase before? I don't know. I don't know. You might be right. Yeah, she's slipping it in here. Nice. Um, 
And it doesn't have any antecedent to just boom. Sure. Just to, if you, hold on a second. I'm going to search for the word. Well, here it's uh, there's other thing had an opening into the emptiness of all things. Yelled that everything was empty. That's in the that's in the introduction. Okay, and then page fifty nine, which we passed. Uh, it feels hollow or empty, unsatisfying. Well, that's different. different. Yeah. And sixty one, we sense the emptiness and the pain underneath. That's a little different. Different. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then we're ninety four, and then one sixty eight. I think you are here. Okay. Um, okay, interesting. Just just kind of feeding this little rope there. Um, Did I just lose my place? Are we okay? You're still um, here. Uh, yeah, we're. Uh, you're still okay. Okay. And where's where? where so Life may have seemed easier. <coughs> Isn't that where we are? Yes. Uh, and I think uh, I'm reading. Oh, are you reading, you, Glenn? I think you're up. Life may have seemed easier before we began to feel our anger. How I'm sorry. Life may have seemed easier before we began to feel how angry and scared we are. When we practice, we do feel hurt more, but it's a conscious hurt. We witness our own hurt and we can sit with it. And in that sitting, we hurt ourselves and others less. Our tension lessens. We begin to feel along with the pain, some effortlessness. Effort is not resistance. There's a difference between exerting a genuine effort in your practice or your work, for instance, and the kind of effort we make to resist someone or something we don't like. There's no denying that a steady practice day after day after day is very difficult. Fundamentally, we have to know what we want for our life and what we're doing about it. That's the effort. And then being that, just being, is the effortlessness. Let's see how... Y'all want to pause and write? Yeah, I think so. Seems like a good stopping point. Because this seems like a, a important chapter too. Yeah. And the okay. next one, it's yeah. Maybe the the dualism of of effort and effortlessness is something we could think about. Yeah. Let's uh let's have our prompt as the. Explore the tension between effort and effortlessness in our own practice. In our own practice. Is that a good one? Yeah. All right. And something she keeps coming back to that I think is so important is this idea that we, we have a choice of how we respond to situations. That seems to be an overriding theme. Um, and don't go back. Okay, so we're going to do this for 10 minutes. And then you don't have to actually read what you wrote. You can, if you want to say something, you can say something after we finish writing.
Melinda, we just write for about 10 minutes and then we'll come back and share. Do you want to do 10 minutes or 15? I think, I think we do 10. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. Lynn, you're the only one unmuted, except for me. I'll read what I wrote. My tooth hurts. I wanted it not to hurt. Then I looked at the pain of my tooth hurting and thought, oh, tooth, thou dost hurt. And the pain went away because there was me and the pain. And I was looking at the tooth having pain. But it was not I who was in pain, but my tooth. And I'm not sure if my tooth was in pain, but rather there was certainly some sensation it was feeling, but maybe that is all that was happening. One day my tooth was feeling this, and one day my tooth was feeling that. So maybe there is no pain, but just a tooth playing one song one day and another song the next day. Oh, tooth, you were always toothing one way or another. So I felt the pain go away, which was fun. Did, did this happen recently or did you just make this up? I don't make anything up. No, it's, it's right here. Like this exact moment. Yeah. Ellen's saying something. <laughs> Ellen has had tooth, tooth pain. Oh yes. I've had lots of tooth pain. Uh, so, um, the way you thought about it helped? Yes. Really help? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, great. Yeah, I, I saw my tooth having pain. But then was it really pain or was it just like a different sensation? You know, like yeah. some days it's rainy and some days it's sunny and we can attach all this feeling to that. Right. But just you said something like that. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, related just a to. ago. Yeah, but that's pretty good to do with, uh, you know, that much physical pain. A tooth can really hurt. Oh, it's it's not. Yeah, it's not uh, a lot. Okay, that's good. Yeah, but my dentist is sick. Oh no! So now I'm exploring a different dentist who's actually next door to the dentist who's sick. <laughs> I hope he didn't get the same thing. So, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll talk. La this is kind of cool. Last week, over a hundred people listened to our recording. Which record? Which On SoundCloud of our depth of practice. <laughs> wow. Oh, really? Wow. That also, is very interesting. I didn't even know we were, I forgot we were recording. Yeah. Also, um, I think over time, it's been a great avenue for people whose English is not their first language to improve their reading. I mean, it's helped me. English is my first language, but it's really helped me over the years improve my reading. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. My vocabulary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that too, um, because there was like a 30-year period when I never read out loud. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's really been helpful. So... And we have, uh, you know, people not here tonight, but whose English is not their 
first language. Yeah. So don't, well, I'm one of those. I know. So that's why I'm saying it. So don't feel you're you're absolutely welcome not. when you're ready to 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 read. But you know. thank you. And I think we all uh, appreciate that. Yeah, we've got uh, Nancy a French, French speakers. French, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. French. Yes. And uh, Nancy, we, we also, I don't, I don't know if it will help you. I'll turn it on now. We have a thing called live transcript. And then you can read what we, does that help you? It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank good, you. good. Well, and if we forget to turn it on, then you can just ask. Okay. Good. So I can read what, what I wrote. Oh, great. Wonderful. <laughs> Very good. Um, well, what I understood was to, to write down the tension between effort and effortless in my own life according to what we read. So this is what I wrote. Um, practice contains us and give, gives us the space to experience everything. Um, this is a quote of what we read. So I'll go again. Practice contains us and gives us the space to experience everything. The effort in the practice is made for me at this point to experience life as it is. During all these years, I felt that I'm lost trying to find an explanation about this life. I've tried to look for shelter in philosophy or art. The effort, as mentioned, is to quote, turn towards the unknown of, of every moment and this moment and stay there. What I realize with these thoughts is that I have to turn my awareness to my own experience, always in the path and stay there again and again. Once you get finally there, effort will become effortless and we will get to understand the depth idea that in general, there are no choices here, no strengths, just being is effortless. Beautiful. Wow. Nice. And it's so interesting how, uh, I mean, it's, it's like with, you, you mentioned art and that's what I do. So, in a Kim way, you, in a way, you don't try and gets in your way, and in a way, not trying gets in your way. You know, you have, right? You have to do both. We all know people who try too hard, you know, at whatever they're doing, and that doesn't do anything. That doesn't work, and not trying doesn't work. Who else? Who else? Who else? Well, I guess I'll talk. Okay. Um, I wrote down a bunch of stuff, but then um, looking at my sort of lists, I mean, I realized it all has to do with my how uh, with my perspective, with how I'm thinking about things whether it feels like effort or whether it feels effortless for one thing. I mean, there's definitely that factor to it, but um, 
there are a few things that take effort. Things like making time and space to sit. I mean, that's not a lot of effort, but you have to take the t you have to carve out some time, and you and it's nice to have a place, you know, <laughs> as a place to do it. So, I mean, that was like I, the main effort as far as sitting practice goes that I could I could think of. There's a lot of things that feel effortful in it, uh, like if, but it has to do if I decide. I like this or I don't like this. Like if I'm going, oh, darn, another thought. I mean, that feels effortful and striving. There's something striving about that and the opposed to, oh, look, another thought floated, floated, you know, is floating through because I'm a human being in the universe, you know, and that's just what happens. And uh, so, so it, it has a lot to do with how I feel. Oh, and then I was thinking, I just, this is a little aside, but I was thinking about what is the relationship between the energy you, uh, you bring to your practice and what does, uh, there's a certain amount of energy you bring to your practice, but that I think has, I think that's what helps it to be more effortless. It, just a natural energy that you bring uh, is an effortless, makes it feel effortless. Whereas if you're just kind of plodding along and, oh, I must do this because for some, whatever reason you're thinking, it feels that that's not energy and that doesn't feel effort, that feels effortful. Anyway, that's what I got. So uh, Ellen and I were in an intensive this weekend, and at the end there was a sitting period, and it was called open zazen. So you can sit, or you can walk, or you can stand. And the first time I looked at the time for it, it was it was forty five minutes. So I didn't really plan, but when I got to thirty minutes, I thought I could sit for fifteen more minutes. And then Ellen, which was like so steady, I thought, well, if if I get up and she's sitting, that's going to be just like, like, I can't do that. She is just like so steady. So oh I sat, so I sat, I, I sat for 45 <laughs> minutes and then I looked at the schedule again and it was an hour, not 45 minutes. So then it was another 15 minutes. And um, and you were so steady, you weren't moving at all. I'm glad it looked good from the outside. <laughs> And it's always funny, isn't it? But it's not the same from the outside as from the inside. Right. So you were having trouble too? Uh, that very last one I was. Yeah, yeah. that was the last the one. <laughs> yeah. and, and then we talked for an hour and then I came out and saw my wife and she said, you look kind of pale. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad we did it. Um. Those of you who, those of you who are who or has studied the perfections, the six perfections, and I know at least one of you has the Dale Wright Bible uh, nearby. But he talks about the perfection of energy. I mean, you know, one of the perfections is the perfection of energy. Mm -hmm. And I I can't find it now, but I know in that chapter he says something to the effect of, "Yeah," and. 
decide and he talks about effortness versus uh joyful effort bubbling up you know mm-hmm. i call it but he does say at some point and i can't find it that the texts aren't really great about this he's like yeah some of the buddhist texts are a little bit vague when it comes to this tension and um anyway i thought maybe uh i would want to interject that into the conversation if you guys have that text maybe go back and sort of have it for dessert um that's all i should get a commission for selling this book to everyone i know <laughs> in fact we read it in this group yeah it is a fantastic read and it's i don't know if they are they using it now for um the precept class they did yeah it's it's not the main text we're waking up to what you do is the primary text but this is like we are reading this alongside it um i am i am honestly i'm much more into this one i really yeah like, i love this book so much yeah but i am like i have to really like spend uh i have to, i find i have to like i can't put it off until close to class like i have to spend the whole month because i like I just have to read a section of the chapter and then digest that section and then read the next section of the chapter and then digest that section. It's not a lie down in bed and just Mm-mm. get a little good feeling before you go to sleep. Like it is, um, I, I, I love how thorough he is in discussing everything in such detail. Well, also he has kind of an original view like I, I remember when he talked about tolerance, he said that the practice of tolerance, sometimes it's to be tolerant and sometimes it's not to be tolerant. Like if your friend's getting beat up, yeah, then tolerance is not, it's a practice. It's not just, oh, I'm always going to be tolerant no matter what happens. Yeah, yeah I think I, I love it because he like, he does not shy away from like talking about like, the really hard stuff you actually have to wrestle with. Um, and it's not all just, yeah, everything will work out. Like it is like, it's no, like the part of the practice is so like when you get to these really tough moments then it's not gonna be as as wrenching for you. And that was nice in the Joko Beck book where she's with her daughter and she realizes she has to make a choice of what's valuable here, her relationship with her daughter or being right. You know, she opened up a little more than she sometimes does, I think, there, when she talked about that. I really like that. Cody, how about you? What's going on with you? Cody? <laughs> no. Uh, no, no major. How are the animals? Good, good. They're they're good. We uh, my neighbor offered me a new dog, so we're gonna get one probably in another a month. Puppy. I uh, yeah, it's a it's a. Let me see. It's a uh, Anatolia. Yeah. Agbash or something like that. I think I know what you're That is about. a big dog, dude. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, it's so tiny. 
They're so tiny. They grow up right now. Oh <laughs> man, that's a big dog. Uh, that's a huge dog. Well, that'll guard your house. That's for sure. Yeah, keep the coyotes away. Uh huh. They they will kill a coyote for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been telling my wife that I want to get a longhorn. She won't oh, let me. <laughs> I don't know what a longhorn is. How? How could you not oh. know what a longhorn is? Well, yeah, I've heard true. the word certainly related to cows. So it's a type of cow. Yes. Yeah, with enormous horns. You can there. Some people keep them on their ranches. Still, you can see them every now and then when you drive down the highway. Yeah. That's the Texas Longhorn. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what that is. And they're okay. orange. They have a lot of that sorrel orange in them. So burn are orange. You really like, gonna, it's, are, are you going to get one, Cody? I want one. Uh, I want to I wanna, uh, train it so I can ride it, you know, saddle it up and, and just so cool. ride it. Go, to the, go and be in the rodeo parade. <laughs> <laughs> This is not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all right. Nancy, how are you? What's going on? How's that? Well, for the record, I would like to say I was aware it was being recorded, but I thought it was just for internal purposes. I had no idea it was being released to the public. So I'm going to just kind of sit back and absorb that. Oh, okay. 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 Um, yep. Now I'm trying to think of what I've said and what's out there. And I was just thinking, Nancy, I don't think you've said anything personal uh, and you, you've read. But if you all ever say anything that you don't want, want, we can edit it out and you just let me know. I think I'll just pass. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. And Allison, anything you want uh, to say? I've actually... Uh, 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 the idea of effort or effortlessness is like it's showing up in a really practical way where it's like oh we're getting to like be more in person soon and I'm feeling this tension of like I mean so I mean I'm still busier than I'd like to be right but before the pandemic it was like always going driving around blah 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 blah, blah and I'm like I do not want to go back to that mm -hmm. like I don't want to be in the computer all day every day but it's like I don't want to like have to plan my life around being places. <laughs> yeah. Well, are, are you are you teaching in person? I'm still not. My department stayed fully online this semester. I was supposed to go back in the spring. I was supposed to have I was supposed to have two in person and two online classes because my department has an all online program, so everyone teaches a little bit online. Um, um, but now no one is signing up for our in person classes, so uh, I'm. I might have one or they might just put me all online because since I'm full-time, I am obligated to have classes. Um, so I, I'm, they've already, I, as far as I, the last I heard the department chair was going to cancel my one in person that had no enrollment and move that fully online. And then um, whether or not I'll still have one in person is, up in the air at this point so it sounds like students are choosing online uh, yes 
even if they have a choice. Oh, yes. Really at least at ACC. And again, you know, like all schools are different. But yeah. So, um, Milena, how did you how did you find Apamara? Um, uh, I was looking for uh, Buddhist centers at Austin because I'm staying long periods here because of the pandemic. I can work online, and I'm looking forward to go to Texas University. So I found out uh, one. I don't remember the name. But this is more like a monastery. Mm -hmm. And they had um, this uh, directory published. And I looked for some of them, and then I found you. Great. Yeah. Had, so had, you, had you had any experience with Zen Buddhism before, or any particular? I went to this Buddhist center down in Mexico City, but it was more like a cultural one, not one interested directly to form you as a Buddhist um, philosopher or whatever. And uh, that's the only experience I had. I had read some books about Zen, but uh, I'm not familiar practicing it as you do. So we have a deal that Ellen, um, Ellen's been mostly leading, but we, uh, on Wednesday at noon, and we do a, a short introduction to one of our chants, and then a sit, and then a discussion of that. But it's on the calendar, the Appomattox calendar. Are you on the Appomattox mailing list, email no. list? If you send me your, uh, in chat, your email address, I'll, I'll have the person put it on, put your name on, and then you'll get information about that. Thank you. I'll write it down here. And Kim, do we have, what was, did, was Sandra for a while there, did she have a, a Spanish speaking? Yeah, she, does. she does on Saturday. There's a Spanish speaking meditation group. And you'll see I, that on the calendar. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I saw that. I work on, on Saturday, uh, but uh, yeah, probably some weekends I can go there. Oh, good. Thank you. What are you going to study? I'm calling it quits. Good night. Okay. Good night. Yeah. It's late for you. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Milena, what are you going to study at uh, UT? Uh, art history. I'm between practice and, well, art studio or art history. Mm -hmm. Great. I saw, uh, Kim, that uh, on the web page that you used to teach art, right? Or something yes. like that? Yes. Yes. So probably, I don't know if there are some ways so I can um, ask you some questions uh, via email or something. Sure, I'll send you, I'll put my uh, email address. Oh, thank you very much. Um, and uh, finally, I saw that you had this book that we read uh, in digital format. So I was wondering if there's a chance to, to get it that way because I saw that Many of you we, have hard copy. 
Well, I'll keep sharing, but uh, you can buy it as a Kindle. Okay. Uh, she passed away about, um, I don't know, eight years ago or so, but this book has just come out and one of her daughters um, put it together from her talks. Okay, thank you. I'll look for it. But it's on really Amazon. You can see it on Amazon. Okay. I really enjoyed the reading tonight. Oh, nice. She was, um, she was uh, not a learned philosopher or anything like that. She was a, a, a kind of a secretary and human resource director at one of the libraries in a university. So she's, uh, and you can tell by the way how plain and direct her speaking is and how concrete, and it's really appreciated. It isn't always the case around here. That was a question I had. Uh, I had a lot of trouble with last week's reading. And I really objected to her use of war because it just didn't seem to fit within the concept of everything she's talking about. And now you're making me wonder, she never had a chance to edit this herself and say, no, that word war doesn't belong. Let's use some other word. I'm going to go there and, and see if we can find it. Um, I mean, but it was like from her talks. So at some point she put it in a talk and if you're going to put it in a talk, you probably mean it. Word for word, I, I would disagree with you. So uh, she starts out the paragraph, all human beings are at war with themselves. You may meet people all day long. Trust me, the wars are there. Did that bother you? That it was mentioned throughout the chapter and and that that was the what war I wrote. between the way we think we should be and who we are you step into the war and do the battle so it kind of is a trigger for you the word war it is for well, me <laughs> i objected it it set me back yes yeah Cody, you have war experience. How's, how did you feel? Were you here last week? Yes, I was here last week. When, she, say, made this, when she made this equivalence of our life and war. Uh, me personally, you know, I... I don't, re I don't really, you know, feel any, any type of way about it. It's just making a comparison, I guess. Um, it, it, I, I, it doesn't really bother me, you know. It's, people have have their own kind of context of wars. It's, it's, it's like a, it, it could mean many different things, you know, that, that one three-letter word. You know, war within, war with self, uh, war with your neighbor, war with another country, something like that, you know. But it, it doesn't bother me at all. It's not the word I would have chosen. But like you said, she, you know, she's not, she's not a writer. I mean, that's not her profession and she's not a, she's not a, I mean, you know, um, she has a very, just prosaic voice and and so 
Maybe she got a little colorful there, a little purple, maybe, you know, (laughs) over the top. Well, you certainly want to stir some people, right? When you're talking, you know, find a word that will do that. But then some words kind of are very hot, you know? Well, for me, it just sets, it heightens the sense of dichotomy and conflict. And I, I don't know if I, I don't feel that in my meditation. I feel effort to stay present and not be carried away with my thoughts like I'm doing now, but it's not a war. In fact, it's a gentle practice, a gentle reminder. It's like, come back, come back to the breath. Maybe I should come back to the foxhole and jump in or something. I don't know, but I, yeah, it's not the word I would have chosen. Yeah, I got stuck with it. I had, after we all hung up, I spent more time with it and had to, had to reread my notes and come to terms with the, I mean, she used a slew of words, war, a mess, a fire, a struggle. And and I didn't think of meditation as being that way. So I I don't either. Thank Uh, you. I don't either. I, you know, um, But, uh, you know, Peg always says the great thing about Buddhism is that, it, you know, and, and the Buddha said this himself, I'm in the Pali Canon, you know, try the shoe on and if it doesn't fit, go get another shoe. You know, it's not, they don't, it, it's, a, it's a practice. So, you know, no people, no two, no two people swing a golf club the exact same way, you know. Thank you, Allison. I, I, didn't mean to be so sharp with you. <laughs> okay. I just know that, oh gosh, even in a classroom situation, that you have to answer a question, but you may not have pre-thought and pre-approved every word you use. And I hope that might have been the case now that you're saying it was really the daughter that put together the book. It would be interesting to know when uh, she wrote, when she gave that talk, you know, we don't know that when these talks were given, they were given over a long period of time. And uh, all these words uh, uh, change. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole bunch of words now that we could mention that, that just change and change and change depending on uh, the day, right? Well, and a little reflection too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, the words of, of the Buddhist teachings were not exactly transcribed in real time either. You know, there's probably a lot of drift, quite a bit of drift, but time, you know, b- before the speeches he gave became you know the talks he gave then somehow became canon and then kind of became teaching i mean that took a long time we probably lost a lot you know in that process okay thank you oh here she's come back who's back all right Okay, so are we done for the evening? Thank you for sharing your practice. Thank you so much.
And see you same time, same place next week.